The reading can be found on page 728 in the Pew Bibles. <clears throat> it's from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 9. Here is my servant whom, I'm uphold, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout and cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed will not break, and a smouldering wick will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, who called you in righteousness, will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I lost my sermon notes. I can't switch my microphone on. But we'll do all right, won't we? We've got God's spirit wonderfully. I wonder what it is. What is it that God is saying to us this morning? What is it that God has to say? What is it God wants to say to us this morning? What is it that God is saying to us in a world where Russian troops can just walk into Ukraine and smash the place up? sending millions fleeing and causing chaos. What is it God is saying when we watch, I guess, distraught at what we're seeing, uncertain of what we can do, and knowing that any efforts we put in seem feeble and weak? What is it that God is wanting to say to us when we realize that the, the horrors of what's going on in and around Ukraine have made us forget about other places and what's going on there, places like Afghanistan or North Korea or Syria? What is it that God wants to say to us when we either feel completely overwhelmed by what's going on, or we feel kind of numb and unmoved by it? What is it that, that God wants to say to us closer to home when we see the cost of living going up, when the bills are increasing, and the bills of those around us are increasing, and perhaps it might be some here today. It might be others that are known to us who are going to start having to make choices like, do we have heating or do we eat? What is, what is God wanting to say to us? What is God wanting to say to us at, at a time in our church community, in our church life, when it seems there are so many who are facing so many serious illnesses and intensive treatments? What is it that God is saying to us when there's many here today who I imagine are feeling battered and bruised by life and maybe feeling like your faith is just fizzling out? 
What is it that God is wanting to say to us as a, as a church as we seek this year to plant, build, and grow, and yet we look around and, let's be honest, we feel smaller and probably less together than we once did. What is it that, that God wants to say to us if this week we've experienced those brilliant moments you get in life, and life feels brilliant, and we want to hold on to it because we know it doesn't last? What is it that God wants to say to us to help us to keep trusting him? especially when we're feeling worn out and wrung out? What is it that God is wanting to say to us that's that's going to give us lasting hope, that's going to strengthen us? What is it that God wants to say to us? What is it that in the words of verse 5 of our reading, that the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it, what is it he wants to say to us? What is it? I want to suggest this morning. It's four words. It's the four words that Isaiah chapter 42 begins with. Here is my servant. Here is my servant. God spoke uh, these ancient words to his people. 700 years before Jesus. You know, we're rewinding over 2,500 years ago. And yet the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who inspired Isaiah to speak these words, the same Spirit that meant they were uh, written down, is at work in us and is speaking them to us. The same message, here is my servant. Now, if I'm honest, I don't think I've got the tone of, of what, how God is speaking these words through Isaiah right um, I tend not to give constructive feedback on people's Bible reading. Judith, I don't think you got it right either. Sorry. You read brilliantly, by the way. Um, because we, 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 we kind of read it. Here is my servant. And if we're not careful, we, we end up sounding like a bit like a used car salesman who's flogging us a 10-year-old car with 300,000 miles with a few dents in and kind of going, here it is. That's not how it reads in verse 1, is it? There's enthusiasm and energy and excitement, isn't it? Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one the one I delight in, the one I'm going to put my spirit in, and he will bring justice to the nations. This servant is God's answer to a world in turmoil and to when life feels bruising and tiring. Here is my servant. Behold my servant. Look at him. Pay attention to him. Come to him. Here is my servants. Over the next few weeks, we're going to continue seeing glimpses and descriptions of this servant in Isaiah. Uh, there are four servant songs of which our passage is, is the first. And, and this uh, picture will build and, and we're going to get this incredible sense of, of God's rescue plan, God's solution to a world in turmoil and to the bruising and tiringness of life. What is it that God wants to say to us today? Here is my servant. And secondly, he's the one who's going to put all things right. Here is my servant, and he's going to put everything right. Do you notice what the most important thing we're told about this servant in these verses is? I mean, we we told it in verse 1. We told it at the the end of verse 3 and the middle of verse 4. Not who this person is, but what this person will do. He will bring justice 
to the nations. That's what God wants us to hear from him. Here is my servant. He will put all things right. Justice here is that description of everything that is not fair and not right being sorted out fully and finally and forever. I suppose a very weak picture of this would be the time, maybe the afternoon, the weekend, the week you set aside to sort out your garage or your shed or your loft. Or if you're very thermby and have all three, unlucky because that's a big job. But at the end of it, you've sorted out all the stuff that's been dumped in there. The stuff that is broken has been dealt with. And everything is back in its proper place. It's a tiny glimpse of what this is getting at. Except in in Isaiah 42, it's not garages, it's not sheds, it's not lofts. It's the world in its brokenness. It's the world in its injustices. It's the world with its people's hurts. And unlike my garage or, or your shed, things are put right fully and finally. It's the putting right of life that sticks, that lasts, and cannot be undone. It isn't undone in two days, like it so often is with us. And the sense of these verses is that it's not going to just happen at a click of the fingers. It's not, it's not just a momentary thing and boom, everything's made right. The sense is of something that starts and builds and spreads and takes root until one day everything is made right when there is total triumph over all that is not right. Here is my servant, God says to us. He will put all things right. But who is this servant? I mean, it feels like Isaiah is standing at the back of a very long room and there's a stage at the front and there's, there's been a spotlight put on this sort of person on the stage. But all we can make out, all Isaiah is making out is this kind of silhouette. Who is it? Who is it? I mean, these were words spoken by Isaiah 150 years from his time into the future. He's looking ahead to when God's people are feeling battered, bruised and tired. They've been taken into exile. And a new powerful warrior king, Cyrus, Cyrus the Great, is shaking up the world. Is is it Cyrus? I mean, isn't he the one who who makes it possible for God's people to return home? Is is this the servant? Is Cyrus the servant? Well, just just look at how the servant's described in our passage. Verse 2, we're told, he doesn't shout out about himself. He doesn't give himself the label, the great. In verse 3, we're told, A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. I don't think it's Cyrus. But then we read in these chapters uh, of Isaiah that God's people in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, are described again and again as God's servants. So is that who we need to fix our eyes on? Is this the sort of, you know, is there somebody standing there who's representing all of God's people? On verse 4, we read, don't we? We're told that this this person will not falter or be discouraged. Where are God's people at this point? Well, they're in exile because they faltered and failed big time. They're about as discouraged as it's possible to be. So it it can't be God's Old Testament people. We have to look further on for God's servant. Perhaps, Perhaps over the years, as the years went by, as these words were heard again and again, that there would have been people and 
They sort of fitted the description. Is it, is it them? Is, is this the one? Is this the one who's going to put everything right? They look like they fit the description, except they ultimately don't really come close. Not until someone goes under the water in the River Jordan. And as he's lifted out, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove comes down and a voice, an audible voice, booms out, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The one who later on, using other words from Isaiah, said I, he had come to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The one whose teaching and miracles glimpsed life with everything made right. The one who, when he told crowds that started to follow him, to keep quiet about him. Was that, that whole thing was explained with these very words by Matthew, in Matthew chapter 12. The one who was bruised and broken on a cross, whose life was snuffed out in order that everything might be put right. That we might be brought back to God. We might be able to step into the promises of God, the covenant of God. Death undone. Forgiveness offered. New life to live. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Gifts given. Fruit produced. For anyone who might hear God's word, here is my servant. And they come to him in faith. A while ago, we were doing series looking at Acts, and I don't expect you to remember this, but uh, back in chapter 17, uh, Paul goes to a place called Thessalonica, or Thessalonica, uh, and there's a, you know, he causes a few waves, uh, and people get upset, and they grab a few of the Christians, and they, and they bring them before the authorities, and they, they say, these, these people are causing trouble. But you can read it in some translations, and they, they put it uh, really helpfully. I think, they say, these people are turning the world upside down. So what Jesus has done does turn the world upside down. But what if it is because the world's the wrong way up? And Jesus has come to put things right, to restore things. God's word to us here is my servant. He comes. He will put things right. So what, what impact? What impact does that have on our lives? Well, first of all, offers hope to anyone. Offers hope to anyone. Now look again at verse 4. At the end of it, we're told that in his teaching, the islands will put their hope. I guess we would phrase it slightly differently. We would say something like, in his teaching, every, people of every corner of the world put their hope. This is hope for everyone, hope for anyone. You see, there are many, many things around us that seem to offer hope. And many people put their trust in those things, they build their lives on those things. We do it at times. Things we believe will make life right or better. And so we make sacrifices to those things. And for a moment, maybe they make life a bit better, but it doesn't last. 
Never lost. The Bible, Bible calls this idols. And, and whether, they are, whether in our heads we're thinking statues of little gods, whether it's the reality of just those things that we build our life on that aren't gods. This is what God has to say about them in verse 8. I am the Lord, that's my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. You see, the turmoil going on in the world, the bruising and the tiredness that we can experience, it's never wasted by God. God uses it often to show us that the things we're building our life on, the things we think will bring us hope in life, they don't work. They don't hold. It's like building your life on sand, Jesus says. Not because sand's a bad thing. It's great when you go have a seaside holiday. It's just not designed to build a house on. God uses it to bring people to a point of realizing that despite maybe on the outside looking strong and capable and having life together, you're much more like a bruised reed or a smoldering wick. And you're in need of help. If that's you today, whether you're here, whether you're at home, whether you've been part of St. Luke's for years or you've just joined, maybe it's the Holy Spirit leading you to realize you're building your life, you've built your life on the wrong thing. Hear God's words this morning to you. Here is my servant. Come to Jesus, whoever you are. Receive hope from him that's going to last. Receive hope from him that will not disappoint and will not uh, disappear. Here is my servant. He's hope for anyone. And he's the one who will strengthen God's people. He is the one who will strengthen us. God's word to us this morning, here is my servant. That is how the Holy Spirit is going to strengthen each one of us as followers of Jesus this morning. Now I suspect there's many of us here, maybe at home, who, who can relate to those images in verse 3, the bruised reed and the smoldering wick. Now, the best I could do this morning was a snapped stick. And a blown out candle that's glowing on the end, smoldering away. And what do we do when you find a snap stick on your lawn or out on a walk? You probably do what I do. You break it. What do you do with a smoldering wick? You probably do what I do. Hit your fingers. You put it out. It's not what Jesus does, is it? Look at verse 3. He says, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. What does that mean? It means he does the opposite. It means Jesus is into healing and binding up wounds. It means Jesus is about restoring and reviving life. Now, don't get, the, don't get the wrong idea about Jesus here. This isn't Jesus being sort of a bit weak and wet and limp. No. This picture of gentleness is because Jesus is so strong. He has his strength under control and he uses it to serve. Just imagine with me probably quite a bit of imagining needed, that me and Mo Farah are going to go for a run together. We line up on the pavement outside church. What am I going to turn around and say to Mo? Go gentle on me. It's not because he's weak. It's not because he's not very good at running. It's because he is strong and he is fast. And I'm asking him to control his strength to serve me. That's the picture we have of Jesus 
here. Let Jesus serve you and strengthen you today. If you've put your trust in him, if your life is about following him, you belong to him, which means certain things of these verses are true for you and can strengthen you today. Because you belong to him, you are chosen. Because you belong to him, God delights in you. You have the smile of God on your life. Jesus is not shouting at you. He's going to build you up. He is building you up. He will revive you. He's not going to give up on you. Jesus is not tired, and he's especially not tired of you. We're strengthened, and we're strengthened to serve. We're strengthened to serve. Remember Jesus' words to his disciples, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. Strength under control to serve. That's why we have one of our foundations here at St. Luke's as serving. Living out the love of Jesus. To make a real difference in our local communities. In all sorts of ways, with different activities we run through our lives, uh, with the people we live nearby, we spend our time with, we work with, giving them glimpses of this upside-down world, or should we say the world put right on display in our lives. Trying to make a real difference, knowing that even our best efforts sometimes can get undone and will be undone. So we also need to make sure we're making a lasting difference. That we're speaking and pointing people to God's servant. God says to us, here is my servant. We say to others, here is Jesus. God says to us this morning, what is it God wants to say to us? Here is my servant. He will put all things right. Gives hope to anyone. It strengthens God's people, strengthens us to serve. And do you know what? Whether it's turmoil in the world that's grabbed your attention, whether it's feeling bruised and battered and tired in your own life and your circumstances that's grabbed your attention. Let God grab your attention again this morning. Here is my servant. Pay attention to him. He will put all things right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this picture of the servant in Isaiah. He's not one who's come to trample. He's not one who's come to destroy. One who's gentle, has come to revive. I pray that that would be a source of hope uh, to us all, maybe even to some for the first time this morning. And may it be what strengthens us in a world of turmoil and in in our lives where there are bruises. Strengthens us to serve, knowing that you first served us in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.